Welcome to Playing With Perspective, the suspended animation podcast, where we hear real stories from real people and we tackle all sorts of fun topics in the areas of business, marketing, entrepreneurship, mindset, the arts, and well, life itself. It's amazing what you'll pick up. Thanks for joining us. Darren Saul here, your host of Playing With Perspective, the suspended animation podcast. It's episode 201, and I have the fantastic Moen Vare back in the studio. How you doing, Moen? I'm well, are you? Very, very well. I'm, I'm very happy that you're taking the 201st spot. It's great to be here. Great to be here. And thanks for, uh, course, thanks for coming. Um, and of course, Moen was on the show many episodes ago. I call him our resident project manager. <laughs> so he's here to teach everybody a little bit more about the art and science of project management. <laughs> but the topic of today is everyone manages projects. Did you know that you're a project manager too? That's <laughs> so true because whether it's business or personal, we're always managing projects. It's true. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, just for a little bit of an insight into Moen, for those of you who might not have uh, seen the episode previously, he's the principal consultant of Global Empowering Solutions, a project management company dedicated to helping engineering projects achieve higher efficiency and profitability. So he helps engineers be better project managers. He has over 30 years of experience in master planning, design, construction, and project management of engineering projects that include road, utilities, airport infrastructure, bridges, tunnels, and metro systems. Moen is a chartered engineer and a registered professional engineer of Queensland. In his current role, he focuses on four key work streams, project management consulting services, policy and procedure writing services, training, and mentoring. So, Moen, you've been a busy guy working on lots of very interesting projects. Absolutely, yes. My God. Man. <laughs> so, so, again, welcome to the show. Really nice to have you back, and I'm looking forward to exploring a little bit more about what's been uh, happening since you were last on the show and Wonderful. enlightening everybody into the ins and outs of project management. But maybe but let's kick off by just giving us a little bit of a backstory and getting us uh, familiar with your story and how you fell into this, this area, this space, and why you love it so much still after so many years. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually love it because um, uh, I love it when I'm able to help engineering firms, whether they're consultants or manufacturers or contractors, if I can help them with uh, becoming more efficient or becoming more, um, you know, uh, they can turn their project to become more profitable, uh, improve their profitability, or if they can, if I can help them reduce the stresses at their work workplace, or if I can help them create an environment where their staff can thrive and and be happy and be feel valid and appreciated, then I know I've I've got a kick out of that basically. So because I've uh, the reason I'm doing this is because I've actually seen that quite a lot that people struggle with project profitability, project management, and so on. So I've seen a lot of um, construction projects, a lot of uh, construction design work that has sort of gone pear-shaped. Yep. You know, uh, people, um, it's either, for example, uh, uh, 
the budget has been blown or the uh, or they are late in delivering or the quality isn't as uh, people expected i'm sure some of your viewers can relate to that i'm sure we've all seen it on the news as some every so often we hear about these mega sized products being late or being or their budgets have been blown maybe they were supposed to uh, the budget was let's say 5 billion now it's going to be 6 and a half billion or something yeah. so yeah. i'm sure all of us can relate to that kind of news that we've heard that people try to explain why those things have happened but basically boils down to maybe poor planning or poor project management or something of similar nature that resulted in this increase in, in you know in budget or this uh, the budget being blown i've also seen you know uh, designers great designers uh, become project managers without appropriate training you know just because you're a great designer doesn't mean that you can be a, a good project manager it's a little bit like saying well, you know, you're a great, you're a great dentist. So why don't you become a heart surgeon? Yep. You know, just because you can do one well doesn't mean yes, you're both maybe in the medical related industry, but yes. really, it's it's they're so specialized that you need to have the right skill set to do them. And as a result of you know people getting promoted into positions that they really haven't got the skill set for we find that uh, products are mismanaged or that people try to wing it, you know, and uh, that's not the best way to manage projects. And also uh, products end up in trouble or they may end up in disputes and arbitration as a result of this kind of mismanagement that, you know, for example, the scope of work is left um, slightly vague when people are tendering, you know, so in, in a tender, you know, right. maybe the client has given you a, 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 a detailed scope of work that you have to price, but then you have to make sure that when you're bidding that you actually clarify what you are going to do and what you are not going to do. You can say, I'll do A, B, and C, but I won't do D, E, and F, you know, so at least later on, if they ever want you to do D, E, and F, you know, then they have to pay you for it and they have to give it an adequate amount of time to, to do it. So I've seen a lot of that going on and, and uh, there's an uh, unnecessary um, amount of pressure and stress in our industry that uh, it's just unbelievable. And all of that is due to poor project management, uh, poor planning, yeah. poor tracking, poor monitoring and uh, or poor team management. And... Uh, so, um, as I said, um, I love it when I'm able to help them reduce the stresses of their workplace and to create an environment where their teams can thrive and the projects can also become a lot more profitable. I love it. And it's so interesting, like, as you're talking, two really interesting points come to mind. You mentioned that, um, you know, not everybody has the skill set to be a project manager. And exactly that, like, there's so much uh, promotion going on in the workplace particularly with people that are good technically with whatever they're doing and yes. they're promoted to managers, there's a great example of, you know, a very different type of skill set. Just because you can do something really well, it doesn't mean you're a great people manager. And it's exactly. very much the same with project management. Just because you can do something well doesn't mean you can handle um, a massive multi-million dollar project. It's a very, very different ball game and a different set of tools and skills you need. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You've and the it. other thing that's really fascinating to me is that, you know, we almost expect projects to be over time and over budget. It's so crazy. Like, we all, unfortunately, we do. Like, we say, ah, oh, that'll. If they say five weeks, make it ten. If they say yeah. five thousand, 
make it 10. <laughs> it's always, we always expect that. Isn't that fascinating? Yes, it is. But that just sort of shows how much trust we have in that industry. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they're not, uh, they need, there's a, there's a lot of uh, room for improvement. Definitely, could, definitely. And, yeah. and of course, you know, projects, you know, the bigger the projects, the harder they are to manage and, you know, the more tools you need and particularly now with software and all sorts of great um, applications that, are, that can be used for project management. But it can also make your life and your project and your your work life much easier and much less stressful and you can enjoy what you do rather than always be under the pump and, you know, trying to work out what's fighting fires all day long. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. So um, let's kind of get into the main topic of today, which is everyone manages projects. And I know it's, you know, quite general and it's kind of <laughs> obvious, but a lot of people don't really think about that in that terms. So maybe let's expand on that a little. What do you mean when you say sure. everyone is a project manager? Well, that's true because, you know, uh, in um, almost every industry, many companies deliver projects, you know, and um, uh, because, you know, you know, they may not call it a project, they may call it a case, or they may call it an initiative or a campaign yeah. or something, um, or they may call the, the manager, the pro, not a project manager, but a case manager or or a, uh, or a campaign manager or something. But in fact, if it's something that has got a beginning and an end and has an objective that you're trying to meet and there's a series of tasks that you have to go through to reach that objective or to fulfill the requirements of that objective, then you have a project. Absolutely. <laughs> and, if you do, and if you're managing that, then you're a project manager. In fact, that applies to your daily lives, as, as you referred to earlier as well. You know, for example, if you're trying to, um, you know, travel to Europe, maybe you want to go to London, you know, you want to go from Cindy to London. First of all, you have to figure out, you know, that's, you know, uh, when can I go without dis disturbing the rest of my life, you know, that is the most convenient time for me to make that trip. Yep. And how long do I have for that trip? And how much, what's my budget for that trip? You know, and do I want to go first class? Do I want to go, you know, business class or, or coach or economy? You know, and and do I want the the, the flight to have uh, been to be direct, direct flight to London, or do I want it to, or can I accept having you know, stops in many countries along the way? And can I do I want to be on the airplane for that long? And what airline do I want to go on? Can I trust the airline not to be late because some airlines have got a reputation for constantly you know either losing luggage or being late in taking off and all the rest of it so yeah. and also who's going to take you to the airport are you going to drive yourself and park yeah. you at the airport or are you is your partner going to drive you there are you going to you know catch a taxi or an uber yeah. how are you going to and who's going to pick you up on the other side <laughs> exactly and who's going to pick you up at the other side and and have you have you sort of you know arranged that and and, and have I, you got a visa and have you got the permit and have you got this document and whatever else you need you know it, it actually happened to me i got to the first time i tra i traveled to a particular country i didn't speak their language uh, i arrived at 10 o'clock at night and uh, somebody was meant to come and pick me up from the company that i was visiting yeah. and uh, they didn't turn up so I was there with my suitcase, bags and everything in a, <laughs> in a foreign land, didn't know how to speak the language, didn't know where I was supposed to stay the night. I knew I was being taken to a hotel, but their guy was supposed to take me to the hotel. <laughs> That's really you know? So if you don't plan that, 
you're going to come back with a with an interesting story to tell. Long, yeah, that's right. <laughs> long that you can explain to everyone. So, so we are all project managers. So you have to plan the resources that you need, the the time that you need, the the people that are going to support you with that, the money that you require. So all those things they need to be planned. And in engineering projects as well, in whether whether it's you're designing a bridge or a tunnel or or, or a utility, whether it's sewage, drainage, whatever it may be, you still need to think of all those things as well. How much budget do you have? What resources do you need? And you know, and what is the time limit, a time frame that you have to do it? And in fact, they are a lot more serious because the consequences are much greater. If you if your bridge collapses, the bridge that you design or you construct collapses, then yeah. the, the risks are much greater than in your, in your daily life, the things that you do, you plan and you manage in your daily life. So um, so you need to plan that. And all of that goes into a document called a project plan. Gotcha. Now, some people call it a, a project execution plan or a project delivery plan or a project operating plan or just a project plan. Uh, no matter what you call it, there has to be a document that contains everything that you need to plan uh, for that particular project. Perfect. Well, let's yeah. let's get into that. So let's maybe outline um, and expand on what a project plan contains and how you go about that. So let me start by 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 explaining that maybe each uh, that every project manager has two clients. So uh, one is the external client that you have, which you typically call a customer. The one that comes to you and says, "Give me your price for designing this bridge, or give me your methodology and your and your quote and your tender for doing this piece of work." Now that client, that's that's one client. The other one is the internal client, uh, the one that is your line manager, your bosses, your senior management of the company that you are an employee in. So, uh, and these guys, uh, the, the two clients that you have, they're. Um, requirements are not always fully aligned. You know, your your internal client wants to get in and get out and be quickly done with it and make and maximize your product's profitability, whereas the external client may not be so motivated to do to to, to do that. They may want to, you know, pick your brain about various options, and they're not too fussed about your challenges and so on. So they may have different expectations. And um, so with the external client, you have a contract. Typically, I mean, obviously, if you're trying to construct a building or a bridge or a tunnel or something, you have to sign a contract with the client that you're going to build this uh, bridge for X amount of dollars and for in this time frame, and we're going to do X, Y, and Z to, to get there. Uh, so that becomes a contract that you have with your customer. With your internal client, you have something called a project plan, which is basically a contract with your bosses. Now, it's not, it is not as legal as the contract that your company signs with your customer, but uh, it nonetheless, it's quite formal. At the beginning of a job, you prepare a project plan that you have to get the approval of your management for. Gotcha. And get the buy-in of your team as well. If you're managing a team, then you have to get their buy-in as well. Right. And, uh, and the kind of thing that go in there, some of the things are identical to the things that are in the uh, contract that you've signed with your customer, external client, but there are certain things in there that are different. Things that are similar maybe are maybe your scope is the same possibly, maybe the methodology is the same, maybe the, the program is the same. 
but maybe not to the same level of detail. Maybe the, maybe the one that you have with your client is a high-level program or a high-level methodology, but when you're trying to do the work, you detail it out for your own purposes, for your own monitoring purposes. But there are definitely items that are not in the contract with the client. For example, maybe contingencies wouldn't be in the in the contract that you have with the client. So contingency is something that you, and let's say it's a pocket of money yeah. that you allow in the in your cost calculations uh, to ensure that if something goes wrong, that you can cope with that additional piece of work. The same thing applies to your program. You have to have a bit of slack, what we call a float mm. in the industry, in the program, so that if something goes pear-shaped, something doesn't go quite as planned, then you have a bit of wiggle room, a little bit of flexibility to to manage those uh, those changes, yeah. because you know something you can, uh, when they change, yes, you can go back to the client and just say this is a variation, and give me extra money and give me an additional extension of time, but there are times when things change, but you can't go back to the client because they are within your scope of work, mm -hmm. and you need to absorb that. And so th this is why you have contingencies and you put float or slack in your in your program. So those things you typically may not mention in your in, uh, to your client. And again, project uh, plan may also include things like your risks. You know, what kind of uh, risk assessment do you need to do? How often should you have a workshop for the risk assessment? Maybe the client itself is a risk. So even if you do a risk assessment with the client, you have to you still have to have one internally done uh, with your own team, maybe about the client. Uh, and also, uh, so once you've gone through the workshop, the risk workshop, then the risk register will become part of the project plan. And in that register, you have the, the list of the things that you've identified as risks, what could go wrong, these are the things that could go wrong, and then you may have mitigation measures for them or minimization measures for them. And then you have you, you mentioned who owns it, when do they have to do the things that they've got to do? And also, are there any residual risks involved that you need to address? Right. So all of that is sort of covered in the project plan, which may not be covered uh, in, in the contract that you have with your clients. You have to address all sorts of things like resourcing, you know, things yeah. like you know, reporting protocols and, and even variations. How do you handle variations with a client? But before we go on, I must say that many engineers don't like planning. You know, they, uh, they, uh, they're go-getters typically. Yeah. But they're problem solvers. But they're not great thinkers or great planners. So maybe I'm just being, maybe I'm overgeneralizing. Maybe that's not the way. The way it is. some people don't like planning. Okay, yeah, yeah. and, and uh, they like working in the gray. They they like it because they don't want to commit to a a fixed outcome. Yeah. Because once you have a project plan that you've submitted to your bosses and you've got their approval, and it mentions your profitability as well, your profit, which you agree at the upfront. What, you, what profit you will deliver, what cash flow you will deliver for the for the company. And once they approve that, then you really have to um, stick to it, make sure you deliver it, because they will hold you accountable. And say, well, you promised that you're going to deliver half a million dollars by this time next year. You Absolutely, know? 100%. So, so um, one year goes on, and then you say, "Okay, where is that money?" You know. So, so, so basically, you're going to be very protective of of your project and very protective of of the fees and 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 uh, the costs and so on. 
and you're going to be, you're going to be monitoring it very closely. Uh, so once you have that, you can also that document project plan can help you get your team's buy-in. You know, it's very clear. You share it with your team, maybe even you develop it with your team yeah. and you say, this is what we've got to do. And uh, and you get once you get that buy-in, then it becomes a document that is becomes binding on all. And, and your management will come and say, you know, what about this? What about that? And if you don't like planning, uh, if you don't like being fixed to an outcome, if you like to work in the grave, you don't like doing this project plan. Uh, so it becomes it becomes difficult for for the management to know that that they're not at risk. So they, they get nervous about when about projects that don't have uh, project plans. Yeah. Sometimes you know um, uh, you know people uh, don't like planning because they. Uh, they see themselves as go-getters and they get nervous when you you ask them to start planning. Mm -hmm. With every hour that ticks, every they, they feel that they, they, they are losing it's time. Yeah, yeah. They, they have to get out there and do something. Start get, building something. Start doing something or designing something or yeah. getting over something. Or sometimes they feel that they've actually done it before. Yeah. I can do this in my sleep. Mm -hmm. Why do I have to stay here and plan this? And they don't like reporting about it. So, um, but then they have to realize that first of all, by uh, not planning, they're putting their company at risk. Yep. Because a project plan is a way that the company manages its risks, business risks. And second of all, let's say you've made, uh, uh, let's say, ten percent profit on the job that you've done ten times before. Mm -hmm. But if you don't plan. You don't know whether you could have made 20% on them or 25 or 30% on them before. So when you plan, you can definitely make sure that you 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 improve your project's profitability. That's true. That's true. And, I, and I think as well, the plan is also for all the other stakeholders, external and internal, not just you as the project manager. I think it's, you know, you as a project manager might be able to do a lot of this stuff in your sleep. But the benefit of the project plan is also for all the other stakeholders Correct. as part of the process to, to look at and review and track and Correct. make sure everybody's doing the right thing and it's on the right track and on the right time frame and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just, just imagine that you have a project plan and then you decide to leave the company. The company can pick up that project plan yeah. if, if it's done properly and give it to the next person as part of the handover and just say, spend maybe half a day together to figure out yeah. what he was doing and what is what you need to do from now on after he leaves, you know? Yeah, exactly. But if you don't have a project plan in place, the new project manager has to scratch around and look oh, around, sure. yeah, put his investigator's hat on and uh, yeah. try to figure out what he's going to do next, you know? Yeah. And have you got any um, particular favorite applications or software that are in the industry that are good for creating all these plans? Um, well, I mean, there are, there are many, many software. Could be many, yeah. if, if, if you're talking about um, uh, project planning in terms of a program or a schedule, then yes, there are, there are many software that you could use, maybe a Microsoft Projects, maybe yep. maybe Primavera, maybe P6. There are so many different. Or even so just a simple, just a simple Excel sheet or Gantt chart. So yes, there are there are many programs that you could use. If you're talking about project management and a project plan, I typically develop a performer uh, for the campaign to follow based on what they do. Mm -hmm. I've actually been doing that you know recently as well. So I develop a project plan performer or template. 
for them to follow so they can make sure that they address every single thing. When you do a risk assessment, well, you know, it's just a workshop and so on. So yes, there are many programs you could use to, or even your project management uh, software in the market that you could use to, to, uh, to help you with uh, monitoring your progress, uh, you know, uh, looking at your schedule and see if, you know, how far you, you're along the, you know, how, how you, how you're tracking and how you've progressed along this, along this uh, project. Nice. So yes, many, many software, but I don't have a particular, uh, I don't want to state a preference to be honest. Sure. No, yeah. Totally get it. Yeah. And, and uh, I suppose if we extrapolate a little and we talk about people doing personal projects, this theory is exactly the same. The con the, the project planning should still be there. That's it should right. still document whatever it is to a certain degree. It doesn't have to be to the same degree as you might, you know, do a multi-million dollar project. Correct. But you still need to get buy-in from, you know, different people. And, yeah. uh, you know, it just makes life easier. And it makes you makes the whole process less stressful. Correct. Correct. Yeah. If you don't have it, you, you'd have a lot of trouble. You know yeah, I mean? absolutely. <laughs> um, so I'd love to get into... You know, it's obvious, you know, if a project's aren't planned properly, um, you know, you might be over budget, you might be over time, you might not uh, meet certain expectations, but I'd love to expand on any possibly hidden um, aspects or hidden pitfalls of not planning a project properly. Anything that you might bring to life with your 30 years of experience that I might not have thought of. Right. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So, I mean, uh, as as I mentioned, the first the planning is one of the key elements of it. Another one, the second one is is monitoring and tracking. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I want to say that the, the key job of a project manager is to deliver the project according to the project plan. Yeah. So, if you don't have a project plan, then you are not managing your project efficiently or properly so that's that's the first thing then I mean, if you don't have a project plan then what are exactly can you monitor yes yeah. so when you when you get to the execution stage you're trying to do the job whether you're designing or manufacturing or constructing something if you don't have a plan what exactly are you are you monitoring because the the the, the project plan creates a baseline against which you can monitor your progress right or monitor your performance and see how you're doing in terms of cost and time. So yeah, for sure. So so once you've done that, that you've got that baseline for uh, for checking your performance, then the next step is to to track it when you're doing it. So and if you don't track things, then you are literally a blindfolded person walking in the dark, searching for the target. That's you know right. when, I, when I when I do workshops uh, in person, and as you may know, I, I facilitate workshops. Uh, on uh, winning new work and on consulting skills and project management for Engineering Education Australia. Right. <clears throat> and when these days it's all done online because we want uh, people across the whole country to yeah. be able to join. Uh, but um, before when we're doing it in person or even in other workshops, I typically ask for volunteers yeah. to, um, to put their hand up and actually do go through this little experiment. So what I do is I, once somebody volunteers, uh, I I place them at one end of the room. Um, let's say, yeah, let, let's say that we're in a, in a meeting room or a training room. Yep. That's about 10 meters long, let's say, okay? okay? Yeah. 
<clears throat> so I put the person at, the, at one end of the room, and I put at the other end, I put a dartboard, or I might draw a dartboard or a target <laughs> yeah. on, the other, on, uh, on at the other end of the room. And I asked the person to point with their finger towards the target, and can they point to the bullseye of a dartboard, you know? <laughs> and I tell them, okay, keep pointing, I'm going to blindfold you now. <laughs> pointing and say, oh, are you, are you sure you're pointing to the bullseye? Yes, we are. <laughs> blindfold them. I said, now walk all the way to the other end of the room and make sure that you end up at your, your finger, index finger, touching the bullseye <laughs> of, of a dartboard. Fantastic. And uh, so, and I obviously I have to walk with them because I want to make sure they don't trip over anything and <laughs> next to anything. So, so they, they do that, and uh, you can rest assured that by the time they get to the other end, yep, ninety nine percent of the time they are um, a couple of meters off. Yeah, <laughs> they are not going to be touching the the, the target at all. They're going to miss the target by a meter or two, usually. If they're really good, they miss it by half a meter. If right. if they're really good. But typically, they miss it by, by a wide amount, by a large amount. So then let me say, okay, now let's repeat the same exercise. But this time, exactly, exactly the same thing. Point, I blindfold you, you start walking, same thing. But then maybe I stopped them after three or four steps. Maybe after one, one and a half meters, I said, okay, continue pointing. I'm going to remove your blindfold now. And I say, okay, now look at the target. Are you still pointing to the, to the target or not? If you're not adjusted, might be a very small adjustment. Just make sure you're still pointing to the to the target, right? To the bullseye. Then I blindfold them again. Ask them to walk. They walk two or three or four more steps. Nice. Walk them again. Remove the blindfold. Are you still pointing to the target? Yes, we are, or we are not. Let's just adjust a little bit. So you can be repeating repeating that until you get to let us say a meter, a meter and a half to the to the uh, dartboard, and I remove it blindfold one last time and say. Please make sure you're pointing to the right place, and yes. then, th then that way, the blindfold them again. Then that way, you can be sure that they're going to hit the target, or they're going to touch the bullseye. They're going to hit them, hit them, hit the mark, right? So, so the, the, the moral of the story is <laughs> that uh, that uh, that uh, dartboard or the target uh, is basically the project plan. What you're trying to hit, your objectives. The, the target, right? What the client, this is client's expectation. This is what yeah. the client expects you to deliver. Yeah. And if you uh, go along the path of delivering the project, because once you get into the thick of things and you start delivering things, you just are in the action mode. You're not stopping to look to That's see right. whether you're on target or not. Yeah. So at some point, you have to stop, remove the blindfolds, do your checking and monitoring. Am I still on target? What about cost? What about resources? What about time? What about scope? What about risk? You know, what about staffing? You know, so you look at all of that and just say, am I still on target or not? If I am, okay, let's continue. You continue for a while and then you stop again. So monitoring on regular basis and tracking on regular basis helps you stay on target. So, 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 so another important aspect of project management is tracking and monitoring whether you're so you kind of thing as I said you you track is uh, is your maybe you maybe you carry out an earned value assessment which is what we do in the uh, in, in engineering to figure out uh, how we perform so far in terms of cost and time and whether we are on track or not and if you're not 
then we have to think, okay, it's not only about looking back, it's also about looking forward and saying, what do I need to do now? Uh, what do I have to do now? What resources do I need? How much money do I need? Do I need more time? What do I need to be able to hit the target, right? So uh, you start planning, you start forecasting, forecasting times, forecasting money and uh, and costs and everything. So that's the way you, um, we, uh, basically, that's the, another important element of project management. Love it. So really, I mean, project management is about, the obvious two are about time and cost, but then it's also about, as you mentioned, staffing, uh, efficiency, yes. um, repeat business, yes. um, happiness and satisfaction at work. There's right. so many aspects to <clears throat> managing a project properly and so many... Uh, ricochet or add-on or knock-on effects. Correct. It's not Correct. just the obvious cost and time. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very interesting. Absolutely. Um, and uh, anything else that you want to share with regards to the project management process? Yeah, I, I suppose to to be able to plan properly and to be able to deliver the project according to your project plan, you need two more things. You know? Uh, one is a good set of procedures and policies yep. uh, that to work to, uh, because you know uh, these policies and procedures that the companies put in place are their risk part of their risk management strategy. Yeah. When you follow those policies and procedures, they can be sure that you are not going to drop anything. You're not going to, or at least they can, to the best of their ability, they can minimize the, the possibility of you dropping anything. Yeah, yeah. So if you follow the procedures and policies that they put in place for, let's say, for project management or for consulting work or for anything else or for bidding, then you can sort of, uh, take comfort that at least you are you're following the system that they wanted you to follow. And uh, that way, at least... Uh, uh, it's, it's less likely that you will uh, uh, make mistakes, but uh, but these policies and procedures should not be so rigid uh, that to, to to stifle innovation and creativity. Yeah. So they they're, they're more like framework of action. So they need to yes follow them, but you should also bear in mind that you don't want to just. Uh, I mean, I, I understand the assembly line concept that you know yeah. you if you repeat the same thing. With you know, your brain switched off, uh, maybe you can make a lot more money. But obviously, some clients come to you because they're because you, you're the creative bunch. You're the right. you, you can come up with innovative solutions because yeah. So and uh, so you have your procedures have got to be flexible enough to allow for that as well. Yeah, nice. the, the, the second thing that has to be in place, as you referred to it earlier, is having a team that is going to help you get there. Now, this is what I would call an engaged team, yeah. a team that is engaged or committed to the success of your business, a team that goes the extra mile, bends over backward for the success of your business and success of your projects, and a, a team that is, you know, a good ambassador or the individuals are good ambassadors for your organization. You want those kind of people on your team. You know, very often, project managers love to work with these teams, but they underestimate their role in creating such a team. Yeah, absolutely. Nope. I think, and you know, when we talk about company culture, it's driven from the top. Mm -hmm. So this is exactly the same concept. Absolutely. So it is. It is their responsibility to make sure that the morale of the of the team is, remains high. 
Yeah. And, and they, they have, they've got a responsibility to achieve that because uh, no matter how good your procedures, if your team isn't committed, yep. then the product is not going to be successful. No matter if, they're not, if they're not coherent or there's friction, you know, you're just going to get uh, who knows how many problems. Absolutely, absolutely. So we all know that having an engaged team or a, a highly productive team is good for business, good for profitability, and it's less stressful to work with them. And, and life can be quite nice, actually, quite pleasant uh, to, to when, when you have a very, uh, uh, very engaged team. Uh, but you have to start creating that. But, and for that, you need to know your team. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get into that. I mean, what are some of the uh, tips you have for creating an engaged team? Because that's really important. Well, it's, it's, it's actually not uh, an event. It's it's more of a, a process. Yeah. I mean, uh, inspiring, inspirational leaders uh, can come and inspire the group or the team and then go away. But that's not sustainable. They have to create an environment where the team is... is uh, is motivated, uh, they feel appreciated, they feel trusted, they feel uh, that they are valued, they're acknowledged, they, they have, uh, they, have uh, they feel empowered, empowered, responsibility. They, they, they're listened to and and also they, they they actually enjoy what they do. Yeah. Because once you have once you have a happy team, once you have an engaged team, you know, people make better decisions. You know, when you're happy in your job, then you make better decisions. So you need to it's, it's in the interest. In fact, they say seventy percent of the commitment of staff is dependent on the interactions with their manager. People don't leave. They say people don't leave companies. Definitely, they leave managers. And seventy percent of that is the, the because of the interaction between the manager and the employee. Yep. So they they got to they they got to be careful with uh, beware of the ca uh, shadow they cast. No, so, so, to... so what do you do when you have a project team that is very highly skilled and everybody's a specialist in an area and there's one person that is really good at what they're doing, but they're really creating negative morale and starting to derail projects. What do you do? Especially oh, if you say halfway down the middle of the project or something. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm one of those guys that I, I typically get parachuted in when projects are in trouble. Right. You know, and um, uh, and I've I've done that several many many times. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, one time, I mean, I was working uh, the the project director of the the project or the program. It was it was more than just one project. It was a series of projects called the program, right? Yeah. So uh, he had been fired by the by the client. Because he wasn't uh, cooperating, and because the relationship at at a all time low, mm -hmm. and the team was completely demoralized, and this and the client was also very upset with the company. So, I was brought in and said, "Oh, what a lovely site to be on! <laughs> a lovely project to be on." But uh, I was brought in and said, "Well, you help the uh, vice president of operations to put this project back on track. Yeah. This client is very important to us, and if the, this was like." The eighth year into oh the, in this program, yeah. you know, and it's a ten-year project. Wow! So I was brought in. I said, "Okay, so what do we do?" So one of the first things that we did was to talk to the team, to talk to the client, uh, and just say, "Look, we're not going to get contractual with you now. We know we've all been contractual about it, but let's just get the job done." Yeah. 
for now. We can worry about contractual things a little bit later. Let's just get things back on track. We had to prove to the client that we meant business, yeah. first of all, that we meant to deliver. And God knows how many times I had to sit through uh, a lot of whinging sessions. Uh, I had to keep saying, I'm not interested in what happened in the past. <laughs> I'm interested in the way forward now. Yeah. So well, where we are now, where yeah. do we go from here? Yeah. Now, to answer your question, just specifically about the, the staff that we had, um, we had a lot of people who were not in a position to to work with this client right. because they, they had enough. They'd been working with them for many years. They'd been used and abused for a long time. Yeah. It was a dedicated team for this particular project. So after sort of telling them that, look, you know, uh, now the decision is that we have to forget about, for, for, for a short while, forget about getting contractual. Let's just solve the problem because this is a very important client to us. They've given us lots of repeat work and yeah. so on. Many people fell in line, you know, fell in line and they agreed and they started becoming, you know, they, with them as well, we had to listen to a lot of whinging as well and <laughs> so on. But, but, but there was definitely one I remember that simply was not going to work. Wow. And we kept him for a while and and he simply wasn't going to play ball. Yeah. So we thought, okay, let's just move him on. So we didn't fire the person just because we, we could understand why they were at that position. So but there were, we had many other projects that we could put him on. So we transferred him out of that dedicated uh, office nice. for this project to another project. And we sent a message to everybody else that, you know, uh, this yeah. is uh any monkey business? You yeah. <laughs> You're at, I mean, that guy probably didn't last very long as well, because once he was moved to another project as well, he, again, wasn't very cooperative. So eventually, I think he probably was let go. But uh, I didn't follow that part. But I think I, I didn't see him after about a year. Yeah. So, but in any case, we basically sent a message to the team that, you know, that we need to, you know, uh, we need to remove all the bad apples. Because you need to create that team. And once we managed to convince the client that we were in business, the, the, the pressure or the stress of the job reduced, you know? And we, we were and I started invoicing. The client started paying our invoices. Nice. And and they started sort of listening to our options. They weren't just confrontational for the sake of Very good. just beating yep. us up. So gradually we managed to yep. uh, bring the client around and bring the team around and work on that and get the team. And what, what's amazing is it's even though it's such a technical field and, you know, managing project is very technical, so Absolutely. much of this is about managing people and interpersonal skills and... Um, Absolutely. I mean, I mean... You know, ex managing expectations and people building trust, you know, it's all the basic soft stuff. Exactly. I mean, my, my old boss, when I was, you know, back in the day when I was living in the UK, my boss used to say that... Um, it's uh, what we do is 20% about civil engineering and 80% about human engineering. There you go. I love that. So, so, it's, so it's about, it's a lot more about uh, how you interact with others, yep. building yep. rapport, building a relationship. Like because you will, human engineering. That's great. I love it. <laughs> yes. So this is about, yeah, the relationships. I mean, yep. the better relationship, the less stressful the job, basically. For sure. And then you, then you have a team that a team and also a relationship that can manage anything. And it's amazing what you can create together. Like yeah. You have to have that synergy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's important when you're, when you're hiring to hire the right kind of people, when you're interviewing that you look for the right qualities in the people. 
yeah, yeah. They're going to fit your culture. You know, so that's very important. Yes. And I think in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years, I think, you know, people have started to really realize how important it is to hire for attitude and um, cultural fit and not just technical skills and experience, even though that is important. The other stuff is really important as well. Absolutely, because if you if you if you you're, you're you're entrusting people with your business, basically, you know, you if they have to see your clients, I mean, basically, in my in my work as a consultant, I make money only through delivering projects. Mm -hmm. Okay, and if I can't deliver well because my team isn't going to play ball, if they're not going to cooperate, then we won't get paid. Our invoices right. will be late. Our payments will be late, and my my bosses will be upset. You know, so you won't uh, get any repeat business. It's not great for you know for anybody. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Love it. Um, and so, Moen, tell us a bit more about how you actually work. How do you engage with um, your clients? What kind of mo models of work do you, in terms of workshops and other things? Tell us more about how you work. Sure. So, as as you mentioned at the beginning of the uh, the interview. I, I have four areas of work. The uh, first one is being project management consulting. Yeah. And for that, I typically work with the owners or the senior management of the company to have a discovery session mm -hmm. to determine how they work, how they deliver their projects, what kind of consulting work do they do? What about their staff? How committed are they to their policy and procedures? Do they have policies and procedures, you know? Do they have a, a quality management system or an integrated management system? And how good is their quality management system and so on? And maybe even interview the staff to see how, how um, committed they are without, without actually directly asking them to see their attitude towards the kind of questions. So I have a, a very long extended questionnaire that I usually use. Obviously, I, I optimize it for different companies. Uh, to, to suit their requirements, uh, so I have a uh, I have a, a questionnaire that I take people through. So it's it's part of my gap analysis. Mm -hmm. I figure out what is missing, whether it is in a staff commitment or whether it is uh, staff uh, skills, or whether it is uh, policy and procedures that are missing, or maybe they don't have any, or maybe it's the management that is uh, they're not good managers. Maybe they, or maybe they need KPIs, key performance indicators for their staff, and to need to be able to keep them accountable and so on. So I'll be figure out what needs to be done next. Nice. And I give, I give them my report. And if they agree, then we go and actually do that. So the second part of my business is actually uh, about um, um, writing policies and procedures. Yeah. Now, I typically say that I'm, a, I'm an engineer, a registered professional engineer in Queensland and a, and a chartered professional engineer. Uh, but... Uh, and I typically write policies and procedures for engineering firms, maybe consulting firms, maybe contractors, manufacturers, and so on. But I've even had clients who are not within my industry at all. Mm. You know, they've come to me and said, look, you know, we hear that you write policies and procedures. Say, look, I'm an engineer. Said, That's okay. Trust me, you can do what we want you to do. <laughs> it's, it's, it's about, as you say, the softer skills. Maybe it's, it's about the way they behave. You know, around maybe it's about cyberbullying, it's about bullying, maybe it's about uh, code of conduct, uh, it's about simple things like, you know, um, how to use a company car and the kind of things that you have to do, the process to follow. Yeah. So I, 
I've I've written uh, yeah policy and procedures for all sorts of businesses. Wow, right. so, so that's so that's the second one. Third one is about uh, training. I mean, I I, I design, I I, de I develop, I I facilitate training programs, as you know, for Engineering Education Australia, but also I do it for myself as well. And th these things can be custom made uh, or customized for the individual company to make sure it is fully aligned with the way they want to operate. Nice. You know, this is the way. So in a way, you know, sometimes people go on generic project management courses and they are very useful. Mm -hmm. But if it's not fully aligned with the way the company wants to operate, gradually, that training is sort of you know your enthusiasm fizzles away and you know and yep, then yep. you're left with sort of thing okay so what's next yeah it's got to be relevant it's got to be yeah. more specific to what you're doing yes so 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 if you make it a hundred percent relevant and specific to the company then you can actually deliver that and then hold them accountable give them some kpis okay i've taught you how to do this i've shown you what i expect from you use this form use that form and this is what you got to do this is how you should treat the client and so on. These are the steps that you have to follow. And now you're ready. So now here's the KPIs for you. And then maybe hold their hands. And the next part comes in. This is the fourth thing that I do, which is mentoring. Right. So, so if you've done, if, if I put in new policies and procedures, and I've done the training program for them as part of their orientation for the new, for the new and old staff, then we have some mentoring sessions to make sure that they stay on track. Right. And uh, as they transition to the new way of doing things, you know, or if a new project manager comes on board, there may be super project managers from a, from a previous company, but that, you know, each company does things slightly differently. So you need to be up to speed with the way this, this company wants to operate and you need to get familiar with it. And this, they could use the programs, the, the presentations that I prepare as the orientation or induction for their new staff. Nice. So that, that's what I do. Then, then wow. that's what I do. And do you enjoy the coaching and the training aspect? Yes, it's 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 quite good actually. It's quite good. I love it when I can help them. But when I see that light bulb moment, it's yeah. it's, it's it's very good. When I see them, when I say something that they've never considered, exactly, or they or they hadn't sort of understood it in this way, you can see that as a a bulb comes on, you can see that the the aha moment as they aha call it. Moment, yeah. Yeah, so I, I love I love seeing those kind of things, you know. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Beautiful. And you know, as as we mentioned earlier, not it's not always the case that when you're good at something that you can teach and train other people True. to do it. So uh, you know, True. Um, True. impressive True. that you that you do that because it's something it's another skill set. No, but I've I've been trained as well. So I've gone through the train the trainer program. I've, I've even got, I mean, I'm, I have my degree and everything, but I've got also got a cert for in training and assessment as well. So yeah, I've been trained to be a trainer. Great. Yeah, yeah fantastic. An assessor, yes, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Moen, thank you so much for coming on the show again. It's been great to really dive deeper into project management, but also into teams resourcing you know the softest the skills needed managing expectations and all the other things <clears throat> that you mentioned today so fantastic discussion thank um, you if people want to find you what's the best way for them to do that well two ways they can either go on my website globalempoweringsolutions.com.au go to the um contact us page and fill in the form and that way i'll i'll get their email or uh, they can directly email the company with um, and use support at globalempoweringsolutions.com.au. 
Nice. And then I'll receive their emails and I'll, I'm, I'm able to help okay. and respond. And, and I'm assuming that you're on uh, social media as well. You're on LinkedIn. Yes, I'm on LinkedIn. Yes, people can follow me on LinkedIn. If you go to my personal profile, Moin Verai's profile, uh, you we can connect if you wish, or whoever your viewers can connect, and they can look up my uh, the company's uh, profile as well. And there's a lot of useful tips that I've shared uh, previously, some of which have been with you in my in our previous thing. So those videos also on my page as well, the previous ones that we've done. Yeah. So yeah. Excellent. Well, I'll make sure that I put all those links in the uh, podcast notes for everybody as well. Fantastic. Um, both in audio and video form. Yeah. Um, anything else that you'd like to leave us with before we finish up? I always like to give my guests the last word. Yes, yeah, sure. I mean, I mean we, we talked about, you know, how do you create an engaged team? You know, we talked about that. But uh, I, I would like to sort of add that there are uh, basically, in addition to money, there are seven other ways that you can motivate Right. Uh, your team now people may be motivated by one yep. or more or all of these seven uh -huh. now, so these seven are quite important for each person to remember and this is not about just motivating your team it's also motivating your colleagues yep. motivating your bosses even it's i think it's applicable to any human interaction Love that it. you have how, how do you build a relationship with somebody else but obviously since we're talking about project management and team management this is applicable to you know uh, doing you know um, using that for uh, creating an engaged team uh, and to motivate them the, the, the first one but in no particular order is is achievements you know some people are uh, driven by uh, working on the most challenging projects or most the the, the most uh, the with high-profile projects, if I yeah. could call them that, yeah. Yeah. you know, that is going. They, they can put on their CVs and say, Look, "I worked on this project," yeah. and and they, they may even the, the glamour projects exactly, or they may even enjoy the challenges. They maybe they are driven by wanting to solve something. They're go-getters. They want to show yeah. what they're made of. You know, they want to prove to the bosses that you know, I, I can do this. So, and when you achieve something, when it's done and it's delivered, mm -hmm. they have a sense of accomplishment that you know they. It's wonderful that I was involved in, and we we did this, and they can tell their tales of you know how how they how they achieved that. Maybe tales of war initially, and then their success stories as well. So this is uh, this is one of the reasons, one of the uh, ways that you know if if you know uh, that that you can put them on such a project, then that they, that might motivate somebody to uh, do their best and even stay with you as well. Right. Uh, so second one is is autonomy. Some people uh, love to be left alone. Uh, they're the lone wolves. They uh, are happy for, they, they might say, you know, just don't micromanage me. Don't breathe down my neck. Yeah. Don't look over my shoulder. And I, I think they're right. You shouldn't be doing that anyway. But sometimes people think even the, the smallest amount of management, they get upset. They think that you're micromanaging them. Whereas you may feel that I'm not micromanaging. I have to do this. So you have to find the balance between uh, what what is actual micromanagement, yep. and what you need to do? Yes. So you need, you know so so you don't want to micromanage people. That's sort of in a way that's disempowering, you know. Okay. Uh, so you need to find out a way that you know you can uh, empower them to give their best and give them the autonomy they deserve in a way. Because I think not everybody is ready for full autonomy. I mean, initially when you first start, you are fully supervised, yeah. and yeah. gradually that supervision reduces until time that you can actually uh, 
uh, hold your own and you don't need any more supervision or maybe at some point you'll be just nominal supervision but if it is your project you can't abdicate you can delegate so you, as long yes. as you, you, you delegate effectively that's fine but you can't just uh, abdicate this is still your work that's right so, so you still need to uh, manage manage the people who are doing work on your behalf uh, others they may be motivated by safety and security as long as their jobs are not uh, in danger, they don't feel that they're going to lose their job anytime soon. Um, and they, they may feel that, yes, the salary is coming in every month. You know, they maybe I might get even, even a spot bonus every now and then. I might sort of even get a pay rise once a year or something. They, they're happy with that in, that thing. Yeah. But then they may stick around. Now you may think, okay, people who work for the government agencies, you know, you know may stay there, but doesn't mean that they're going to be fully motivated to give their best. That's true. Um, but then you have to find maybe the other things that motivate them to give their best as well. So this it could is, be a combination of a few of these things. Correct. Absolutely. So you've got to be careful. You, you don't want to make it too comfortable for them to, to feel yeah. complacent. You don't yeah. want to be complacent about it. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that people could be uh, you know attracted to or they could be motivated by is you know, having a sense of belonging you know they, they like the social aspect of their work they like the people they work with they enjoy that and they like the banter and the camaraderie and all that but again you have to be careful because i've actually seen this get out of hand mm. people start joking around in the office and before you know it you actually you know this is disturbing everybody else and disturbing the flow of work you know so as long as there's, it doesn't interrupt anything or uh, then that's fine. You want people to be happy at work. You want people to be, uh, you know, joking and being, you know, in a stress-free environment. Uh, but uh, but there is a limit to that. That that's uh, you can't allow that that joking around to interrupt uh, or, uh, or impact the efficiency of your work. So, so yeah, you got to be careful with that as well. So, next that people are motivated by are, is, uh, is self-esteem. They like to be thanked, praised, acknowledged, and all that, and and uh, <clears throat> and, and that, that and that's fine as long as you know this person is uh, wired this way. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, that ties into confidence as well. A lot. Yes, absolutely. And uh, so, you are basically are trying to empower them, but you got to be very, very specific. About, about the way that you praise somebody, either privately or publicly, it has to be very specific. Like, for example, if somebody's pulled in a, an all-nighter and or, and they've delivered a fantastic report at the end of the job and without being late, you can't thank them and just say that this person really worked very hard, worked all night last night and, and delivered this report and the client is super happy with the quality of the work that he's done. So thank you very much, John, for doing this report and Maybe you know, do something else on top of that. Maybe if a job has is, is been successful, maybe throw a lunch or something right. for the team. Yeah. So at least that, that way you can praise and thank the team or individuals uh, for the appropriate things so people know exactly what they're being thanked for. That's great. Uh, the other thing is like uh, power and authority. Some people are, are motivated by, by being in charge. You know, they, they, <laughs> they like to tell other people what to do. Yeah, <laughs> status. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, I suppose you have to be careful that, you know, the, the power can go to some people's heads. Mm -hmm. uh, You've got to be careful with that. Uh, and so unless they are ready, and these kind of things, are, you should approach it with caution, I would say. Yeah. 
you have to delegate uh, slowly to make sure the person is ready for this for the power you're giving them to be in charge of something so but yes motivated by, as long as you know that then you can see what plan you should put in place to get the best out of this person Love it. another one is which is probably the last one is fairness now if or justice some people are motivated by seeing that the company is fair to them they like a company that's fair not or on the other aspect uh, uh, conversely you know if if they feel that that um, there is favoritism going on and no matter what they do uh, no matter how well they perform they will never ever get the promotion they feel they deserve yes. and then uh, then they're not going to stick around they're going to walk or even if they don't walk because they can't work for whatever reason like you know there's no there are no jobs out there or they haven't found the right job yet uh, then they're not going to give you their best so you need to be sure that you know you are being fair to everybody so people are motivated by by these things and the way you um uh, the next step is once you know that people are motivated by these things is to actually get to know your staff oh, understand sure. understand the combination that they have in terms of what motivates them right and try to create that environment that gives them what they need yes. to the extent that you can right. it also gives them the um, freedom to express their needs mm -hmm. they feel heard they should want them yes they, they want to feel heard yeah. and it, even if the answer is no to the suggestion they've made as long as they feel heard and you go back and you take it seriously and say you know i've considered your suggestion uh, but maybe not right now maybe in six months time maybe in a year's time we'll come back and revisit this but maybe not right now so at the moment we're trying to do x y and z so as long as they feel heard and they feel valued, then they, they, they will stay. But that requires you to uh, maybe spend time with your staff, uh, try to understand them, try to maybe even understand their hobbies and their yeah. their interests. And their, yeah. uh, and their goals and their aspirations. Maybe even their children's name or something. Yeah, absolutely. So at least that way you are trying to figure out how to empower that person how to motivate that person to give his best for the company because the likelihood is that you know if, if you if you care for their needs the likelihood is that they will also care for your requirements absolutely well. yep it's a two-way street the two-way street absolutely yeah, so get to know your staff very important i mean that those last seven points alone are a whole podcast in themselves you know yeah, really absolutely. covered a lot of great ground and a lot yeah. of those insights can be used in all facets of life, both personal and professional. Absolutely. But uh, Moran, you know, really appreciate coming on the show. We dove very deep and we've got some great insights to share with the community. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been a pleasure to chat with you as always. And uh, I wish you the best of luck. Um, but yeah, thank you again. And for everyone out there, hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And uh, we'll see you very, very soon for another episode of the podcast. So bye for now. See bye. you next time. Thanks, Maureen. Take care. Bye for now. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for joining me for another episode of Playing With Perspective, the suspended animation podcast. If you would like to join me as a guest on the show, I would be delighted to collaborate. Feel free to buzz me on 0414-659-800 or email me on darren at suspendedanimation.com.au. I'm always on the lookout for great guests who can share their stories and expertise with my community. 
Also, if you have been thinking about putting your own podcast together and not sure where to begin, look no further. I run a really simple three-part podcasting course, one-on-one with me, where I walk you through the entire podcasting journey. You will end up with a fantastic new podcast to start sharing right away. Feel free to get in touch to discuss further. But for now, though, have a fantastic day and I'll see you next time.